Welcome to the Doing Well by Doing Good podcast, where we highlight the startups aiming to be profitable with a purpose. These high-growth startups provide products and services that directly contribute to society from day one and attribute nearly 100% of their revenue to doing good, rather than just a fraction. I'm your host, Anand, and today we're talking to a seasoned Silicon Valley veteran and entrepreneur, Nusheen Hashemi, the CEO and co-founder of January AI. Nusheen has had a storied career at Oracle, fueling their early growth, and has over 20 years of experience supporting nonprofits and funding high-growth businesses. Today, we'll explore her journey to doing well by doing good and how January AI's mission is changing the narrative on chronic conditions. All right. Well, welcome, Nusheen, to the Doing Well by Doing Good podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, I, I thought we could jump right in. Um, how would you describe January AI in one line? January's mission is to eradicate lifestyle diseases. We do this through a whole person health lens. We use cutting edge sensors and AI to understand people's lives and nudge them towards healthier habits, like avoiding or hacking foods that spike their blood sugar or being active when it really matters, experimenting and building a habit around intermittent fasting, eating more fiber, optimizing their sleep, and so on. So tackling their information longitudinally, you know, over a long period of time, we can see small trends and can sort of alert people uh, to these small trends on their health journey and, and get them to kind of move the levers that really matter the most, that make the most difference. So we can help them with weight management, um, healthy eating for their entire family, and, you know, learning about cutting-edge science, because as you know, it takes, it takes a very long time maybe a couple of decades for science to make it into the standard care, um, into the care that people actually receive from doctors. Thanks for that. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. And, and we'll definitely dive into uh, more about January AI and, and who you're serving. But I thought that, you know, with that context in mind, wanted to talk a little bit about your background. How did you, how did you get here? How did you become, you know, the, the founder of January AI? How did you start with this vision or how did you get to it? Maybe what was your career journey to get here? Yeah. Yeah, well, my career journey, the overall arc, um, my first career was uh, building a monopoly. I worked at Oracle for 10 years during its highest growth years, uh, between 85 and 95. The company, uh, in the first five years, the company was doubling in size every year. And that was a phenomenal, like a, just a fantastic um, journey. Not that it was, uh, you know, it was hard. It was really, 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 really hard. Uh, we joke that every every Oracle year is a dog year. Um, it really, you know, I'm I'm 130 years old by by that measure, but it was really hard. But it was gratifying because we kept wondering how far, how much we could push this train that we were on, and we kept we kept going further and further and further. So there was just this euphoric, uh, you know, cult like. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I should call it cult like. I mean, mm -hmm. it was it was it, maybe it's just a cult. Um, yeah. and where you know you have a guru and you're extremely committed to this vision which for us at the moment at that time was promiscuity if you will <laughs> in using computers we didn't want we wanted to free people from having to worry about their hardware choices and mm -hmm. to have this you know software work the same way uh, across all these different platforms and so we were uh, we wanted to create you know give people freedom to make whatever decisions they wanted to for their businesses and yet have the, have the software work the same way, no matter, no matter what they were on. And so getting you know, the world's information sits in Oracle um, today. And so it was extremely gratifying, but at the end of the day, 
it was killing 12 other companies to become the leader. Mm -hmm. And it was building a, a monopoly that, you know, that has endured to this day. And then, you know, post Oracle, I went to a dot com for a year, actually. And um, it was a, a personal finance, you know, dot um, com personal finance. Now we don't call it personal finance. But <laughs> those days you actually called your broker to like buy stock. <laughs> wow. I know it sounds really <laughs> crazy. Uh, so we were dedicated to um, we were we were really committed to making empowering people to essentially um, act and, and behave and, uh, in the marketplace, um, you know, empower them to kind of be their own agents, if you will. And so, um, so, um, yeah. And, um, after a year in quote.com, I decided to have a family and then started a family office. Um, and then in 2016 decided to start my own company. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, during the family office, I've been working with a lot of, uh, on the boards of companies and nonprofits we've invested in you know, tens of companies, but I felt that, you know, at the end of the day, I was an operator and I wanted to roll up my sleeves and do it myself and, you know, test my own metal. And so, um, yeah, I fell into um, health and machine learning in 2016. I went to a, a conference at Stanford and uh, it was about societal impact of machine learning and health was a big part of it. And um, from there, I went to another conference and basically never looked back. But, but during the family office years, I was advising a lot of social entrepreneurs and a lot of nonprofits, um, as well as for-profits. But I felt like these worlds um, needed to come together for me. I felt like it was, you know, my first career, I built a monopoly. And in my second career, I had done, you know, 19 years of um, um, philanthropy and sort of building uh, nonprofits and, 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 uh, and companies. And I felt like the union of the two was the ultimate challenge. Could you, I know this is your podcast, but I swear I've been thinking about this my whole life. So I know awesome. it sounds like I'm just yeah. telling you this because that's what the name of your podcast is, but that's actually no, this is even better. That's this why is I'm even better. This. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I actually wanted to, um, you know, bring these two together because it's the it's the hardest thing. You could do one at a time really well, but to do it together is really hard. And I think the ultimate goal. I thought, okay, I'm in. You know, um, I still have you know decades ahead of me. I have you know, the, the cycles and the, 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 the freedom to do whatever I want. So I want to tackle the problem that is a hard problem that serves humanity, but at the same time becomes the successful, sustainable business. And I think that's the ultimate challenge. If I can do that, then it's a wrap. Well, I say that, but I feel like <laughs> I would, I'm going to die with a full box. But, um, but I'll continue to serve in different ways. So, so yeah, so basically I, um, very much was interested in, in healthcare in that way. And then, so I started doing this massive search into sort of um, how, you know, what are the different issues? I went from, you know, I'm sure you've seen companies where they're looking at images and like radiology. Right. Yep. I looked at like yep. transparency and pricing mm -hmm. and, you know, access to fees and people knowing what fees they're paying for. I looked oh, absolutely. at so yeah, many a big one. angles. Yeah. yeah, I looked at so many angles of, of I looked at at some point, I looked at a company that was um, that just um, focuses on codes, just finding codes for mm -hmm. people. And I thought that was so <laughs> empty. That's just like that's just to get providers to get more money from insurance. I thought, but it's no, crazy. No. It's crazy that that's that's the sort of level of of things that you can do in this space because there's so much innovation that's needed. Right. So then I was like, no, no, that cannot wake up for codes. <laughs> uh, so, but I can. But I'm interested. So then I fell into this idea of you know, multiomics, this whole person health, this idea that, 
that you're not just your A1C or you're not just your cholesterol. You're not just that. We are very complex beings. We've evolved over billions of years. And with this idea where, you know, our current medical system just uh, gives us one thing to work on, go, go lose 25 pounds. Um, we just, it's just not working. I mean, mm-hmm. it is true that if you lose a substantial amount of weight, a lot of your markers, your biomarkers are going to look better. Mm-hmm. Yes. Without a doubt. Yes. Mm-hmm. That could be a silver bullet, but how many people can really actually do that? So, so yeah, so I, um, became fascinated with the problem and I had to choose as we do in philanthropy as well. You have to choose your your method for change, kind of your angle, like what is your particular bent in terms of this problem? So healthcare, $3.8 trillion problem, mm-hmm. but what is our bent? And we felt that my interest in multiomic led me to Mike Snyder and he and I felt that the usage of wearables, collecting data over a period of time, combining data from different sources, like from wearables, user reported data, genomics, microbiome, in the future proteomics, and many other omics, uh, that whole person health view is what we really wanted to bring to the world, to the masses. And we wanted to do it at low cost. So we said, let's start with a few things that don't cost a lot. And then let's over time add omics. So that's kind of how I ended up from, from Oracle then to, to then the family office and then starting my own company, um, particularly to solve a really, really big problem because not that many people can really have the have the space and the the sort of the the freedom to be able to sit and think about problems and ask and learn and research and I was able to do that so I did it but I also want to just bring up this this notion of ikigai ikigai is really just knowing really thinking hard about what you know and like what you're good at what you love and what the world needs mm-hmm. and I felt that um, health and AI just brought those things together I was um, very, very good at, at researching, connecting the dots and then like picking a bed and then scaling that and really enjoying that. And I think the world really needs new solutions, certainly more so in this country than anywhere else. I think our health system is, is quite, quite is quite broken. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, I'm glad you brought that. So this, you mentioned this concept, I think in your GSP speech as well. I, um, did, uh, I, I didn't realize it was called Ikigai. Is it a Japanese concept? Yeah, it's a Japanese concept, but in my speech, though, it's a combination with design thinking. So, so Ikigai, in its classic sense, it is it is what you're good at, what you love and what the world needs. But often we don't ask ourselves these questions in enough a probing way to get real data. So often we, um, we unfortunately don't look at the data as, as it is. And I think we all look at the data about ourselves. Mm-hmm. I'd say half of the people in the world would change their careers. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's good. And, and, you know, I love that you mentioned this, this trajectory from, you know, kind of just going head first, profitable, profitability, profitability, and then, you know, kind of going the other way, philanthropy, and then saying, okay, now let's come back and see if we can merge the two. I love that because it means that it's it's a pro- I, I think one question that we've been trying to explore in this podcast is, is it maybe, and, and you have a unique experience here because you've been in the industry for so long, do you feel that in today's ecosystem or in today's world, it's easier to, do, to bring those two together than it might have been maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago? Absolutely. I think that 
this idea that you're in the oil business, but then on the side, you know, you clean up um, oceans. Right. It's just a, now a ridiculous idea. It's, <laughs> right. it's not inspirational to, to, to the generations that are leading um, the world today. So I think that very, we very much, first of all, you don't have time. I mean, seriously, you don't have time to do one job during the day and then another job um, after hours and weekends and, 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 you know. Well, not well, not well, at least that's for sure. Not well, not if you're extremely committed to a cause, not if you're really committed to something, if you're really, truly committed to something, it's kind of something you have to do all day long, all night long, something you love that doesn't feel like work that you're doing constantly. And so, yes, I think it's easier to do it because, A, because I think people are looking for more meaning um, and they are demanding that those things be brought together because um, we, because it actually, businesses do better when they actually are, think more holistically about the whole picture. You know, certainly there's customers always the, the most important constituent because supposedly you're here for a purpose to serve a purpose, right. but your employees, um, without them, you cannot yeah. do anything. You cannot make any, the best technology in the world needs to be deployed, needs to be put in use to actually mm-hmm. benefit humanity. So you need, you need people that are, you know, innovators that are, that are makers, that are doers, that they test and iterate, that they get to the right answers. And so, Yes, I definitely think that, you know, yes, your, your customers are really important, your employees are important. I'd say your shareholders are important, but mm-hmm. never as a primary, uh, as a primary, not, not that, not that I, I'm a, believe me, I'm a capitalist, I'm a libertarian, so don't think course, for a minute yeah. that I think you should <laughs> not be successful, but mm-hmm. I think that you should worry about um, whether you're, you have a product out there that's actually helping people, mm-hmm. and then you know, a team that is happy making that product and, and that, you know, I feel like other things will fall into place to some degree. And when they don't, you have to test out of, you got to figure out why, and you have to keep, keep uh, iterating to get to the right answers. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. It does feel like uh, this, in this day and age, there's something, you know, you, you kind of have to bring those two together. And, and I think a lot of people are doing that nowadays. Completely. I think everyone's looking for that, especially post COVID. I think people see the fragility of life they see they see what's in front of us you know in that speech um and that commencement speech i talk about you know 2050 uh as this year when we have 200 million climate refugees we have 10 billion people on the planet we have you know no seafood left in the water and you know so on and so forth and so when you when when you're thinking about i think everyone's asking themselves um what role do I play in this calculus? And, and of course, you know, bringing it back to health, I really think that health is the biggest wealth. Uh, I think in this sort of tumultuous world, it's really important if you can be strong and you can be healthy and up and switched on and, you know, and, and able to really take care of yourself and all the people around you. So I think it, I think health in this world is extremely important. Um, Mental and physical, I suppose. Mental and physical. physical. Yes. And so the more, the more that you are doing what you are really good at and what you love and the more that you're doing what the world needs. So you feel Mm -hmm. an impact, Mm -hmm. the more satisfied you are. And if you do that in your job, as opposed Mm -hmm. to after hours, 
it's going to make for a more holistic um, experience. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up because uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about was the company mission. So what do you, what is the mission at January AI and how do you create a culture around it that embodies it? Yeah. So as I mentioned, our goal is to eradicate lifestyle diseases. Um, the way we, we, we engage um, our team around this, uh, we have, we really look for extremely curious people. So you can't do what we do if you're not interested in science if you're not interested in cross-disciplinary, interdisciplinary work of, you know, like I said, the answers are not in silos. They are not living in silos. The answers are in combinations and, and permutations of things. So we look for and we engage people that are foundationally curious about things, specifically about science and medicine and technology and how these three things together can be different, how they can look different in the future and how can they can serve humanity. Cause you have, you know, if you want addictive tech, go for Facebook. Right. If you want assistive tech, come to January. If you want tools to help you be good to yourself, uh, be better to yourself, deeply understand yourself. So we're interested in people that are curious, they have empathy, that you know, changing your lifestyle habits are hard. It, it's a hard thing yeah. to do. Most of us can't do it. It's, it's very so hard, hard to do. It's very so hard. hard to do. Yeah. That's why the that's why the, the there are no uh, Facebook sized companies in health because those are virtues. <laughs> They're virtues that you know most successful companies are built on the seven sins. They're not built on virtues. Right. Um, exactly. So because those things are really hard. I mean, there's if you look at healthy people, there are a few ways that you can be healthy, healthy, meaning healthy people all share a few habits, mm-hmm. but there are millions of ways to be unhealthy. So we're looking for people who, um, who are curious, who have empathy towards people that get on a journey, get derailed, get on a journey, get derailed, get on a journey, get derailed, yeah. and sort of feel that, okay, how can we help people actually make headway? So that's another way. And, and I think, you know, doing the hard work of, of the, this building an experience around technology. I think mm-hmm. that's because technology by itself can't help. It's the, it's the experience that really uh, embeds new habits, new, new good habits in your life. So those are some of the ways that we look for and engage people that can, you know, really live out our creed of helping mm-hmm. people live a disease-free life as far as lifestyle diseases go. Got it. Yeah, that's that, that makes sense. And, and so bringing that, so a lot of it is uh, part of bringing, a, bringing the right people, right? The right people that, that embody that culture and that believe in that mission um, and are empathetic to the customers, the patients, or the people who are using the product. Absolutely. It's a, it's a very hard, interdisciplinary work is very, very, very hard. It's mm-hmm. very hard to recruit people that live at the intersection of medicine and AI or medicine and and science and AI. You know, I'll give you an example. Um, Mm -hmm. There are 20 million people right now on metformin, let's Mm -hmm. say. It's a monotherapy. It's kind of the first drug that you're given if you have prediabetes or diabetes. Mm -hmm. And then from there on, as people advance in their diseases, doctors give them all sorts of other, there are four or five other classes of drugs that get prescribed. Mm -hmm. These are prescribed generally by trial and error. They're kind of like, yeah, if you're in this kind of thing, yeah, you might do better on this. Try this. Right. You try that one. It doesn't work. You're nauseous. Mm-hmm. You're this, not. Okay, they give you the next one. Then the next one. Okay. AI can solve for this. Yeah. AI can solve for this. So 
when you do D- deep, given that you have the data signal, right? So I guess yeah, that's you, if you do deep phenotyping of people, right? And and then you're looking at you know for whom these things are working in kind of what order, and you're able to say because not all diabetes are equal. Not not everyone's diabetes is the same. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's this regulation happening in your musculature. It could be happening in your in your liver, it could be happening in your pancreas. It's it's not. We're not all equal. All everyone that has metabolic disorder is not doesn't have the exact same body. Right. So that you know, if you if you are able to get lots of people to participate, then you're able to look at this, and you can deep, deeply phenotype them. Not just look right. at the A1C doesn't tell you anything. Right. A1C is a 90 day average measure of, of your blood sugar. Um, it's not informative almost at all compared to what we can tell by looking at um by looking at your lifestyle by just Mm -hmm. looking at you for two weeks just to see what you were eating how active you were where your blood sugar was how much you slept and and you guys did a sugar challenge on this right so where you had a number of patients yeah we ran a clinical trial for a year and a half we um, we did in 1022 people 250 of them had type 2 diabetes um and we looked exactly um exactly at that so we look Essentially, we, we were very, very excited about the power of wearables, but wearables by themselves, yes, they're telling for sure. But if you want to predict, so if you're, if you are, we were, we were interested, we weren't just interested in, in continuous glucose monitors and heart rate monitors as like, oh, cool, novel, um, it's going to tell me a cold is coming on. We were interested mm-hmm. in really understanding more deeply how people react to different things because we believe AI should serve you. So our, the approach we took from day one was, okay, if, if we built a model of this person, then we can predict how they're going to react to anything without them having to eat it. Right. So we really set ourselves up from the beginning for this prediction. We weren't mm-hmm. just like, we're not an app company and yeah. we're not a marketing company. So it's, it's um, the prediction and the analytics that you're providing that then exactly. actually inform what, what they can do next. Exactly. Exactly. So, and I think that AI actually can democratize medicine. I think that these, these sensors are expensive. Are they getting cheaper? Yes. Over time, they're getting cheaper. But do you really want to wear a sensor 365 days out of the air if you don't have, if you're not insulin intense um, using not insulin with diabetes? No. Yeah. It's just like, do people prefer to wear glasses all the time if they didn't have to? Right. Probably not. So, so I think sensors are comfortable to use and they're getting more and more comfortable to use. But they're expensive to put, put on, you know, millions of people. So 122 million people in America, half of the adult US population have diabetes or prediabetes. And of those 122 million people, 90 million of them don't even know that they have diabetes or prediabetes. So 22% of people with diabetes are undiagnosed today. So, and you know, when COVID happens, as you know, a, a good percentage of people who died of COVID had pre-existing conditions, including diabetes. So I think I would love to see a world where everyone wears these CGMs two or three times a year. And then in between, AI fills in the rest. It tells you how you react to different things. So you're like, oh, maybe this is not so great. Or I'm doing, I'm doing great. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Or I need to change. And so yeah. I think that through AI, we can have intermittent use of some of these devices that are too expensive and out of reach for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And, and so I'm glad you brought that up because 
I think actually this might be a good good uh, way to segue into the doing good part because you talked a little bit about what you guys do and, and this this trial that you ran um, and the the numbers you're talking about. You're talking about 90 million that you know are undiagnosed. Uh, that's huge. So the question then is, you know, what what impact do you want to have at January AI um, on that population, and and what population do you think will benefit the most? And let's say that in 10 years, when January AI is a huge success, what global challenge do you hope to solve? Okay, so people that are bringing glucose monitors now to the masses believe that, you know, everyone can benefit. There's, there's, you know, there's, we can talk a couple, few hours about that topic, but optimizers in general, people that are fit and they are, they are really on top of their health, their glucose doesn't go up and down that much, or it goes up when they're exercising. Let's say they, they have a huge, like they go on a big run the glucose goes up and comes right back down. And that's, that's, that's a good glucose spike. You want that. Not all glucose spikes are bad. This is kind of misinformation that people have out there. I didn't know that. That's actually interesting. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Well, marketing companies will have you believe that you shouldn't have a glucose spike, but it makes no sense at all. It's going to create all sorts of aberrated behavior mm. that what's important is how fast it's going up to what level it goes, how fast it comes down, the area under the curve. It's, it's not just whether you have a spike or not. But basically what you wanna do is you want to be able to, to impact this disease. So this disease, so metabolic disease is one of the fastest growing, I mean, obesity is going up everywhere in the world mm -hmm. and it's highly correlated with diabetes. So you're gonna have 700 million people with diabetes um, in the world, I think by 2040, I wanna say. Wow. Uh, like for example, India has had 70 million, soon to have 100 million people with diabetes. That means they probably have three or four times that number who have prediabetes. Right, yeah. Yeah. And the same with China. China probably has near 400 million people with prediabetes today. So it's a big problem. It's a huge problem in the US. I mean, people can't are having a hard time, you know, qualifying for military service because oh. we, we have such a preponderance of, of obesity and diabetes. Oh, and so that's because that's problem. because there's like a medical. Uh, they have to like pass some medical test and they don't pass that test basically. Or they are, or they are, or they, yes, they don't meet the, they don't meet the, oh, they don't meet the height and weight uh, requirements, right? Okay. Requirements. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so your national security could be at risk as well. Yeah. So, um, so it is a, it is a national problem. It's a global problem. Diabetes is a global and national problem. And mm -hmm. so you ask me who would benefit the most. Yeah. People that are actually have diabetes or have prediabetes and are at risk of getting diabetes, or people who don't have either but are, they're at risk. Mm. Meaning, and people what, that have, if you have a parent or a sibling with diabetes, your chances of diabetes goes up two to four times. Right. Uh, so people who could benefit the most are the people who are already so optimizers who are just working out all day, drinking gallons of water, and eating. You know, <laughs> protein and, yeah. and grass-fed, grass-finished beef and, you know, <laughs> yeah. their glucose, yeah, that I'm sure they have, they're very metabolically fit. So they right. use these sensors to confirm what they already know about their wonderful physique right, right. <laughs> and their wonderful yeah. metabolic system. But I think people who benefit the most are the people, are the, are the 122 million people that have either diabetes or prediabetes for sure. And is there a correlation in like the undiagnosed population between that and, and socioeconomic factors? So for example, like in the undiagnosed, you'd find that typically, you know, socioeconomically, it is predominantly the underserved populations. For sure. For sure. One of the most critical um, telltales is that the our own study showed that the lower your income the less fiber you were eating 
And fiber is one of the most important things for staving off chronic disease and lifestyle diseases. So if you're eating a lot of packaged foods, if you are, you know, are not eating high fiber foods, chances of chronic conditions for you skyrocket compared to somebody else who is eating a balanced diet. This is why wealthy people outlive poor people by a lot of years. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. And yeah, the reason I was asking is because then in that case, if you are helping the undiagnosed, then you're, you're certainly contributing to helping those undiagnosed kind of become diagnosed, help them sort of move toward a better lifestyle in the future. Well, we are, I mean, we are not help, we are not diagnosing people, um, but we are making them aware about their metabolic health. So like simple uh, things like um, I spoke with one, one friend who found me uh, at an event and just told me secretly because there's so much stigma around having diabetes. Mm -hmm. He told me secretly that he had been diagnosed uh, with diabetes. And he said, um, I, he said, can you, can you get me to the best, best, best doctor? And I said, well, before I get you to the best, best, best doctor, um, what are you eating for breakfast? Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, I, I have orange juice. And I said, oh, orange juice is one of the highest glycemic index foods you can eat. And he said, but it's fresh squeezed. Yeah. And this, yeah. and this person, this person has a master's degree. He, he has a very, yeah. very high, high job in a, in a yeah. very uh, large company, obviously intelligent, brilliant, just not educated on, you know, on, on foods. And yeah. there is no, I mean, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be uh, expecting people to be educated on foods. Doctors aren't educated on foods. Right. There's no, there's no nutrition training in medical school there's very little there's yeah. very little yeah, yeah and our entire healthcare system is based on disease and death it's not based on prevention and vitality right. and so clearly there's a lot of work to do yeah this is super interesting yeah so i mean it, it sounds like you're you're helping actually a large population of people um across the board um because it sounds like you know the education of these problems i mean certainly it's largely in um, people who might be socioeconomically d disadvantaged, but also in, you know, there's just a lot of lack of knowledge across the board. So, um, so I think to the question of doing good, it sounds like you're really helping a large number and, and the numbers you're talking about is, are pretty huge, right? On, on the order of hundreds of millions. Um, so it's, it's a huge, huge group. Absolutely. Yes. And, and some populations are at higher risk than others. Like Asian Americans are at risk of getting uh, of diabetes at BMI of 23 uh, rather than 25 for white people. So mm -hmm. yes, I, I think it is really important to to build awareness and to get people to check out what they could be doing themselves to first ask themselves the question, am I at risk? And if I am, can I do some, you know, instead of jumping on drugs immediately, can I just learn more? Can I learn more about my body? Mm -hmm. And can I just figure out what's happening with it? And can I learn what kinds of, um, uh, actions I'm taking daily are helping or hurting me. And then just even having that understanding alone um, mm. is a beginning, is a good beginning. Yeah, it's like regulating versus medicating to some degree. Okay, cool. Well, I, I thought uh, maybe we can move a little bit into doing well. So what makes January AI sustainable as a business in the short term and long term? And, uh, and then I guess, how do you balance shareholder value with the mission and culture? Well, I mean, it's a startup, so I won't even call it a business. Um, right. <laughs> I wouldn't because, because, you know, in the beginning, you are, you're invested heavily into your, you know, machine learning people are not, are not cheap. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, they're very expensive. You invested in huge 
you know, aggregating huge food databases, you've, you've taken on these massive, massive projects of like labeling all foods that are mm-hmm. eaten in the US and, and then, you know, running a trial and developing these predictive models and then hiring people to continue to improve these models for accuracy. And so, so I think a business is, is, you know, startup is, that's why we say, don't, don't say, how's your business? Say, how's your startup? Because <laughs> business actually is supposed to make money. So I don't think we're, you know, um, us or other, or other startups, a lot of that's, you know, that's the role of, that's why people invest to, yeah. to make some of these ideas, de-risk some of the, these ideas so then they, they can scale to larger things. And that's what we've been Absolutely. doing, de-risking to, to be able to scale and really understand the impact of, of our, you know, the, the benefits of our product to be able to get into a large population. I think that's the holy grail. Can, yeah. you, can there be a health product that gets into millions of hands? Exactly. Because so far it hasn't been. Yeah, totally. And, and I think, um, you know, maybe I'll switch the question a little bit, but what is the vision for, um, a business model, um, for making money on this product? Maybe that's. Yeah. So I think the, the path to, um, B2B, I think that the the people that are most motivated are really self-insured employers. They're the most motivated. They're interested in keeping their employees healthiest. Absolutely. And I think the way to get to self-insured employers is to have a really engaging product that people use and people love. Mm-hmm. So if people use an engaging product, then it's, uh, it's likely that they will see benefits from that product. So I think that the business model is to have an engaging consumer experience that then leads you to a successful B2B business with employers. That's really the way to get to large populations. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. I think 170 a, million Americans are, are insured by their employers. Yeah. So there's a good overlap between those two for sure. Got, got it. Okay. That, that makes sense. And then I, maybe the, the second point, and this goes to doing well and doing good a little bit, which is how do you balance the two, right? So let's say that, you know, you, you're working on B2B and you have a few customers that say, Hey, like, we want you to do it this way. We want you to do it that way. And, you know, they're willing to pay you millions of dollars for it, but somehow that hurts your your mission you know how do you sort of balance those two things perhaps you haven't had to face that or maybe the vision is that you don't have to face it because you're kind of mixing the the business side and the and the doing good side uh, really well so you know maybe that's the question i have how do you do that i see it a little bit differently what i see is that basically i think if customers ask you to do things in early days of the company you do all sorts of things of course we had we had it you gotta you gotta do what they say otherwise you don't have money Exactly. So I think that's totally normal, you know, um, but, but I think I can tell you that there are things that we're willing to do that we would absolutely do to empower a customer, a B2B customer. There are things we wouldn't do. What is it that we won't do for anyone? We won't sell people's health data. We just won't. Um, we never will. So if some company comes over and says, let me get all of this data so that we can create this drug or we can do that. We wouldn't do that. That's a decision we made on day one. And we're not ever going to change that decision. So some things are very easy for us to decide. And then other things are a matter of, you know, uh, let me do, let me tell you this though, since we're talking about D2C versus B2B, I think that those experiences are going to be unified. I don't believe that you, people will try a crappy product because it's subsidized by their employer or by their insurance company. They just won't. I mean, they're living, I mean, they're using TikTok and they're using, you know, they're living so in this other entertaining world and they're Absolutely. not going to then go into this ridiculously 
old fashioned world to do these really silly things. So yeah. I think that you Definitely. cannot get people to engage with products that are not built to consumer standards. Mm-hmm. So products need to be built with consumer standards and then taken to B2B. So at the end of the day, your path to B2B is through DTC, but you need to be very aware. Like our product, for example, has medications tracking. Our predictive models account for metformin, for example, in our predictions. Um, nobody else has those. Um, nobody even has, nobody else who's playing in our market is even an AI company. Uh, Livongo, that was like the big, the big kahuna, their AI like, plus yeah. AI. Yeah, their AI plus AI didn't even stand for artificial intelligence. Uh, it yeah. stood for, you know, aggregate, Wait, the- integrate analyze and iterate interesting they did so, not have i didn't realize they even had that okay because yeah I, as far as i knew about livongo they never had any ai components so that makes a sense brilliant 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 marketing, marketing. Company. Yeah. yeah brilliant marketing company so i mean good on them they their their users are growing and mm-hmm. hopefully they've helped a lot of people along the way look there are 122 million people that need help so yeah. livongo was able to help 500,000. that is awesome and if the next company got to 500,000 patients, which, which they have, that's fantastic. We have such a big market and there's room for everyone. And uh, there's so much work to do. We can all take our best abilities and our gifts and deploy them uh, to benefit people. And I think that's what matters. The, it's literally a huge pie and room for everyone to play. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and yeah, that's a, that's a really helpful way to think about it that you kind of set your boundaries, but then at the same time, you know, you're a startup, you're trying to grow. And I think the idea, at least as far as I understand, but you correct me if I'm wrong, this January AI is that by using AI, you can do things more at scale. And if you can do it more at scale, then you can help more people. Right. You just have to build it, build experiences around that. So you have to build an experience. So let's say you want, you want people to build you have to build a manager blood sugar experience that doesn't always have sensors. The sensors are too expensive. Today, out of the 122 million people that have diabetes or prediabetes, only three and a half million of them are using continuous glucose monitors. That's it. Wow. Because they're intel- intense you know, in- insulin users. And yeah. that's what insurance companies cover. But why can't we cover more people if they, if they don't have to wear them 365 days out of the year? Why don't we throw, that, throw them on everyone who has type 2 diabetes, that's 30 million people. Why don't we throw them on everyone who has type 2 diabetes four times a year? Why don't we throw it on everyone who has pre-diabetes two times a year mm-hmm. and be able to see what's happening inside their bodies and have them you know, scan their foods and look at their heart rate, see how active they are, how much they're sleeping, what's happening with them, and mm-hmm. have insights for them that can be life, life-changing and life-saving. Yeah. So that actually, that's maybe one question since we're on doing well anyways. Uh, how does January AI think about this? So, you know, G- CGM monitors are provided by other maybe third parties, right? So are is January AI kind of like, I don't know, I there's this app called Future for working out, right? So similarly, they like say, hey, if you don't have an Apple Watch, we'll give you an Apple Watch for a certain amount of time and then you return it back. Is that kind of how January AI thinks about it? Where, you know, we'll give you a CGM and then return it back whenever you need it. How does it work? We have not lent CGMs to people because they're not lendable. There's a there's an enzyme that actually dies. You know. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Okay. CGMs live about 14 days, mm-hmm. and um, you know, there's a tiny little like plastic thing that uh, that gets embedded into your skin through a Got needle, it. but the needle comes off, and then that uh, is reading your interstitial fluid to see the level of glucose. And 
Abbott has this really interesting sensor coming out um, in Europe where it looks at your glucose, your, your ketones and your lactate at the same time, which is pretty cool. And you're going to see that in the future. More and more sensors are going to be able to tell more and more information. So you're not going to wear 60 sensors on your body. You know, the same way that Apple is trying to solve everything from your wrist, you know, Abbott is going to try to solve everything through this, this, this you know, this sensor and other sensors that they're building, that they're making in that family. So, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's a super exciting future, but no, we don't have the sensors, but we, you, you can't really borrow these sensors. You can't lease them, but okay. I think both their prices are coming down dramatically. And with AI, we should be able to allow, enable their intermittent use. And that's our passion. We want to make okay. that happen. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Just curious about how that, how that business model works. Cool. That's, that's cool. And I think we, we went through doing well, doing good. I feel like there's one question we always like to ask, and you kind of answered it at the beginning already through your journey, but I'd love to hear your, your answer on this. Why build a for-profit business rather than a non-profit if you had to build January AI from the ground up? Oh my gosh, yes. So I've studied for nonprofits like seriously, like rigorously, like mm-hmm. academically. So I could write a book just on that and how mm-hmm nonprofits, you know, obviously they don't serve, they don't follow market market mechanisms, but they don't need to, their job is different, right? Their job is to either assist or to, again, de-risk ideas that can be scaled by governments and, and others. And so the main reason is sustainability it goes back to, goes back to sort of having, building sustainability into your business. So if you, you know, a great business, you know, the best thing that can happen to a startup that is, is doing a good job is to become a business. If it has built good, doing good into its DNA, then the positive impact will snowball over years, over the years. So not only you're successful financially, but you're also, you know, the impact of your work snowballs and you are also successful in doing good. So I think sustainability is the main thing. Most, I, I know very few nonprofits in the country and I know all of them that have, that are sustainable, that have earned revenue. One that a lot of people uh, are familiar with, but they're not, they're not, they have earned revenue, but they're not sustainable through their earned revenues. Or for example, museums that people go to. Museums have gift shops, right? So they earn some revenue from the gift shops, but not enough to pay for air conditioning of a museum or like, you know, of of the security of a museum. So they're not balancing their books. It's like, yeah, they're getting grants and all those things. It's donations. Yeah, it's donations. And and grants that keep, that kept them keep them going, so they're always looking to the hands of people that are going to help them, um, you know, become to be sustainable. So if you really really want to do good, I think. By the way, I don't think that the only way to do it is through a company. I really tell people to find maybe through Ikigai, yeah. find what their place <laughs> is because some people should be in, you know, some people should maybe they sh- somebody should be cleaning oceans working for Exxon. And then some people should be in a company like January. Somebody should be in a battery company, like, you know, all the companies that Elon Musk has. And some people should be in in google.org and Airbnb.org. I recently donated to Airbnb.org and it was such an interesting experience. It was really well done. Mm -hmm. So you could be in a .org. You can be, you can, you know, so there's, I think we should look impact for impact in all of, of the many ways that it comes. And we shouldn't think that, Oh, if I wanted to have an impact, I should be in a sustainable business because it's the only way to have impact. Of I course, think yeah. that's, 
I think we should really be open-minded as far as whether, you know, we should go work for, you know, outright nonprofit, we should work yeah. for B Corp, we should work for a company like January that is for profit, but is focusing mm -hmm. on a public health um, endemic, or, you know, we should work for a big tech.org that has huge amount of resources and it can deploy both, both its technology and its cash in, mm -hmm. in very, very useful ways. Or we should go work for people that really need help. I think, yeah. you know, Facebook needs to find its soul. <laughs> so I, I talk to yeah. a lot of people who say, I go to Facebook because I want to help them. I want to help yeah. them be a better company. I know people that work at, you know, I, I love Google as a company. I think it's done really interesting things in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, they have civics departments and they're yeah. trying to decipher, bad, you know, fake news from good news. So there are multiple ways that you can be, you can do impact driven work. And I think if you go through an ikigai process and do it with design thinking, maybe you can uh, you can you can find that beautiful sweet spot between you know what you're good at, what you love, and what the world needs. Yeah, and I love that you brought that up because yeah, I mean that that's kind of how this started, right? I mean, uh, we asked the question, how do you bring together doing well and doing good? Now, that's not to say that all of this doing good in the world that's happening is bad. Right. I mean, it's so great. There's billions of dollars going out. I mean, companies like, you know, salesforce.org, there's Airbnb.org, like you mentioned, all these people are, are putting lot because they're so profitable. They actually have lots of money to put behind really awesome initiatives. I mean, look at Bill Gates um, and Melinda Gates. I think both of them are doing something really awesome as well. So there's not like, you know, good or bad. All of it is good. But the question is, is there a is there a rising tide? of companies that are now doing well and doing good together. And I think that's what, at least what I'm hearing from you is that January AI was your kind of foray into that and saying, hey, I want to do something good, but I also want to make a for-profit business. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. I specifically wanted to do something that brought doing well and doing good. I thought the reason I wanted to do it is because it's so hard. Yeah. And I'm one of those crazy people that is just not amused by simple problems. And yeah. so I wanted to tackle things that most people wouldn't tackle. Most people would not tackle AI in health. Why would they do that? Health, <laughs> healthcare is an opaque system. It's not driven by market forces. It has strangest incentives. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is broken in a thousand ways. Now, why would any rational person ever want to tackle that at <laughs> right. all? So, yes. yeah. so yeah, so there are, there are, I think that you take risks and you take risks and you understand the problem. You sit with the problem for mm -hmm. several years and, and then, you know, you, the path becomes more and more clear. And I would have never wanted COVID to happen. Uh, but the silver lining of COVID is that people value their health a little bit more than they yeah. did before. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's definitely going to pay dividends in the future as well. It's certainly been really tough in the short term. Um, with the impacts of COVID, but in the long term, the hope is that it'll pay significant dividends and many people will be saved because of it. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I think that th thank you for that. You know, I feel like we could talk for hours on on this topic yeah. of you know doing well, doing good, and and AI and healthcare. I'm I'm really passionate about this as well. So you know, I'm always always want to talk more about it. But I know that we're we're running out of time. So I wanted to get to one thing that is very important, which is advice for the listeners. You know, what advice would you give to anybody who wants to be in this type of field, working for a doing well by doing good company, investing in these companies, or a founder that wants to start a company like January AI? Any, any key advice or career advice? 
Yeah, I would definitely go back to going back to figuring out truly, 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 truly what you're good at. Seriously, I would go back to this. What your dad thinks you're good at, what your mom dreams for you, what your neighbor has done, what you know, what you always thought you wanted to be because you saw it in a movie. I think I think it's critically important to be honest with yourself about um, what what you're really good at and mm-hmm. what gives you you know what puts you in flow, if you will. I think it's critically, critically important. So my advice would be for people to get to know themselves deeply and not by asking their friends, like, hey, what do you think I'd be good at? Or, you know, uh, like I said in my speech, not looking at a job description and saying, I should do this. I should learn that. I should be this. I should keep up with that. I think they should look honestly at what they're, what they're really good at. And because, you know, it's a multiplier. It's a if you're really leaning into your strengths, mm-hmm. you are really multiplying your impact in a huge way. So if you care about impact, it's really important to understand, you know, what you're good at doing. And then, of course, you know, what you love. But, you know, in terms of, I would say, getting to know yourself, there's a saying, I think, in some Eastern religions, they say is to know yourself is to know God. I think yeah. knowing yourself is really important and being honest with yourself about about that, I think is really, really important. That's the best advice I can give to any young person. To entrepreneurs to be, I would say, why? I would ask them 770, 700 times why. Why do you want to be an entrepreneur? I can tell you having invested in 130 companies Hmm. and having worked for a company that became you know, massive monopoly and, and other um, successful companies and have three unicorns myself in my investments that I've done on my own. I can tell you that people become entrepreneurs for the strangest reasons. Hmm. And the successful ones are the ones that, you know, they really are doing it for the right reasons. Because I've, you know, there was a period of time after Mark Zuckerberg started um, Facebook and became very successful. A lot of young people just didn't want to have a boss. They were like, they all wanted to be the next Zuck. Like that's, <laughs> I think a lot of people still want to be the next, the next Zuck. A lot of people are in, you know, CS 105 and 106. Yeah. Yeah. Become Zach. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so, so I think ask, ask, ask why, 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 why? Yeah. So I asked somebody yesterday, they were, no, Wednesday, they were um, telling me they wanted to be CEO. And I said, why? Um, they said, because I love um, developing people. I love creating a vision and getting people to go towards that. I like mentoring people. I, essentially, I like helping people. Yeah. And I was like, great, let's, let's, let's unpack that. Like, and why is it that you like helping people? And we just kept going. And I was yeah. like, why is deeper. it that you like helping people? Deeper, deeper, yeah. deeper. It's, it's design yeah. thinking. It's design thinking. Keep yeah. asking why. Get to the whys. Because being an entrepreneur is very, very, very hard. Yeah. In fact, the advice that I was given by my dear friend, I told you who it was when, when we chatted before, but mm-hmm. I, I won't say it on this, but he mm-hmm. said to me, if you really want to have, you know, want to build a company, don't start from scratch, go buy a company. Yeah. And I, you know, I looked for companies to buy, there was really nothing that was powering, you know, that was, I was really leveraging the, the power of wearables in the way that I imagined, because, you know, when you have continuous data, you mm-hmm. can machine learn. So yeah. to me, I was like, yeah. continuous data, data, machine learning, boom, you know, course, you can yeah. see trends and then we can tell more about people's health than their, you know, annual physical checkup. So I was like, no, I'm really set on this. So, 
So I had to start, you know, building one, but, but I'd say that, you know, overnight success takes 15 years Yeah. and people who want to have, you know, it, it's, it's, if you want to be an entrepreneur, it's a long journey. Yeah. So you have to prepare yourself for that long journey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, this has been great advice and, and, you know, I, I actually love this concept of, of flow that you talked about, because in, in this um, fellowship that I'm, that I'm in, we talk also about this concept of zone of genius, which is similar, which is the same concept that, Hey, if you know, you're good at something, learning what you're good at takes years. Sometimes it's not as simple as like, you know, asking somebody, uh, it it might take years to figure that out. But once you do, then you're just like, you can just, it's a superpower. It's a superpower. Lean into it. And it makes life so much, so much, so much easier. That's for yeah. sure. Otherwise, you're going against the grain. You know, it's like yeah. entrepreneurship is not something you can do for someone else. Exactly. Because right. it was someone else's dream yeah. for you, or it was your dream because you picked it up from someone else. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I know, you know, I mean, I see people with superpowers, like, you know, I don't want to bring up names, but I know, I know certain people who just like smell, smell money. They literally can yeah. do it in tech they can yeah. do it in hospitality they can do it in covid tests they can do it in anything they just yeah. they just are very very good at certain yeah. things right. and there are just some people that are better spatially they're better architects and better designers and they're people you know and yeah. people who have kids know this people have kids know that their kids are so different they learn so differently yeah and um you you know and that's why i you know that's another book um about oh, yeah <laughs> educating kids and and having empathy for their differences absolutely yeah this has been so great i mean thank you again for all of your time and all the great advice for for the listeners so very much appreciate my pleasure absolutely really enjoyed it thank you so much thank you and that's it thank you for joining us you can find more information about january ai their mission nushin's gsb speech and ikigai in the show notes Is there a company doing well by doing good you think we should talk to? If so, tweet us at DWDGSF or DM us on Instagram at DWDGPodcast. And for the latest updates about DWDG podcasts and posts, subscribe to our newsletter at DWDG.substack.com or click subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Catch you on the next one.